today we come to the book of or the letter to the Ephesians. This is one of the what they are called Pauline prison epistles. Paul wrote from the prison four letters Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians, and Philemon. Right? So we are seeing one of the letters that he wrote when he was in jail. Now, we had just read the book of Galatians, and in Galatians, Paul deals with a very common problem that shakes our foundation. We are saved by faith in Christ, but human nature, namely human pride, always thinks we are better than we are, and we think we can add to a perfect work of Christ. And so, this idea of adding more to the gospel, to make it a fuller gospel, is now very pervasive in our... So you see, you want to be a church member, there's, you know, not only trust in Christ, but you've got this condition, this condition, this condition. So it gives us this idea that to be a child of God needs a lot of our own goodness added in. No. To be a child of God is simply to trust Jesus as Savior. All those additions are not conditions to be a child of God, but rather results or effects after you become a child of God through simple faith. Sola fide. Faith in Christ and His finished work alone, solely, right? Okay, so today we come to Ephesians, a very different kind of letter. That one's so doctrinal, Galatians. Now we come to a book that's very balanced between doctrine and duty. Justification and sanctification. Very balanced, right? Now, this book, Ephesians, is what we would call a general letter. Some letters Paul wrote were personal, like to Timothy, to Titus, to Philemon. Some he wrote for a purpose, purposeful letters, because he heard there were problems, like in Galatia. In Ephesians, it appears that it's just a general letter, not for to any particular person, nor any particular problem or false teaching, right? So it's just written as a general letter to educate, to maybe uh, give people a better understanding of Christian faith and Christian duty. Now, it's you, how do you know it's a general letter? There's not, not many names mentioned in it, right? Normally, you have personal greetings to such and such, to such and such, but not here. And you must understand, Paul was in Ephesus for two whole years. So he knew everybody personally, almost everybody. So he, if it was a personal letter, he would put a greeting to such and such, how are you, etc. But nothing at all, right? Now, how do we know Paul was here for two years? It's found in the book of Acts. If you have time, read Acts 18 to 20 and you'll see his ministry in Ephesus. Now, Ephesus... The Ephesian church is the best-known church in the entire New Testament. We know more about the Ephesian church than any other church. 
I say, how is that so? Uh, for example, when Paul wrote to Timothy, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, Timothy was pastoring the Ephesian church. John himself, John the Apostle, beloved Apostle John, wrote the book of John, and, and 1 John, 2 John, 3 John in Ephesus, right? So more is known about this church than the other churches. We don't know much except the problems like the Galatian churches, okay? Now, what was this city of Ephesus like? Ephesus is in present-day Turkey, huge economic city at that time, crossroads. Always, it is either by a river or by a crossroads, the city becomes very prosperous, right? And it was also a major, not only economic center, but religious center. You see, how come? Because a meteorite had fallen near the city, a huge stone, a meteorite. It was a black, shiny meteorite with full of bumps on it, lumps and bumps on it. And those bumps resemble a female breast. And so, the people in Ephesus worshipped this meteorite. It was placed in the temple, right? And this meteorite was supposed to be the goddess Diana. In Greek, called Artemis. Two names, huh? All right? It was a Greek name and there was their local name, Diana. So everybody went to Ephesus, to the temple of Diana, to worship this black stone. It's still very common. Some major religions worship huge black stones. Okay, I don't know why they're so impressive. First, the stone is not very impressive to me. Second, black is not very impressive, but I don't know. Maybe Satan has a kind of drawing power. And so they went to worship this breasted uh, idol or stone. You know, somehow the female breast is huge attraction on, on lustful eyes. You know, and of course it seems to provide milk and food, so people worshipped it. And when people went to Ephesus to worship in this temple, they brought back souvenirs, silver replicas of this meteorite, right? Tiny little silver replicas, which was kind of a major business. So one of the major businesses of Ephesus was a tourist trade to come to this meteorite. I, I've never seen a, I mean, we don't often see meteorites and especially bumpy breast-like ones. And they came there and they would go home with these silver replicas. It was a major business. And Paul destroyed the business there because he said, that's not a god. Come on, wake up, guys. All right? And so the business was destroyed. And of course, the people who made a fortune out of that, that silly business, right, uh, cause problems and chase Paul out of the city, okay? <clears throat> now, so that's the, the background of the city of Ephesus. Now, the book itself, the letter itself is very simple, very balanced, very simple. Two words I would say about it, right? The first three chapters, only six chapters, the first three are basically about how we are saved. Christian doctrine, how salvation came to us, how God gave us salvation and the second half chapters four to six tell us how we who have been saved should now bless others right we have tasted the love of christ and seen that agape love of god of christ 
should now give out this agape love. So, first half, doctrine. Second half, duty. Or you can say justification, sanctification, however you like. And so balanced and it's so simple. Right? So, I think this is probably the best presentation of our faith as opposed to Romans. Many people think Romans is the clearest uh, gospel, uh, letter describing our faith. I don't think so. I think Ephesus is, Ephesians is, right? But anyway, so it's up to you. You decide. It's very simple. It's very balanced. And if you read this carefully, and it's not so easy to read it, especially the first half, then you really understand your faith. Okay, so let's just go right in. Now, what's the theme of this book? The theme of this book, to me anyway, is Christ is the head of the church. What is the church? It's a universal, multi-ethnic church. It is a body, the body of Christ, the church is multinational church is the body of Christ. He's the head. The church is the body to show the world the agape love of God. To show the world God who is love. That's what I think the theme of this book really is. Okay, So basically, Christ came to this world to show he's the word of God. In the beginning was the word, the word was with God, the word was God. Word is expressing. Who is God? I don't know. I've never seen him. I cannot comprehend this God so high up, so lofty, so infinite. But in Christ, I, the world saw this God. Christ has now gone up. He's now the head of a bigger body, before he had just a body, maybe five feet eight or five feet six, I don't know. But now he's the head of a huge body called the church. And the church now is to show God to the world. What aspect of God? Especially the agape love of God, because the primary characteristic of God is love. God is love, right? So that's what I think this theme is. So let's look at chapter 1 and just go down to a few key verses. Not, not a lot, only six chapters. Chapter 1 and verse 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. All right? I want you to note this. He has blessed us in Christ. Often we think we are blessed by Christ. So like God, Christ is there, he blesses us, right? You get some blessing from him. No, we are blessed in Christ. Now that's a world of difference. It's very hard to grasp it. But this is foundational to our faith. You see the word in Christ, in him, in Christ, many times in Ephesians. In other words, when God sees me, he sees me not as PC, but he sees me in Christ. He sees Christ's greatness, Christ's goodness, Christ's righteousness, and he sees me in Christ. And so as he blesses Christ, I'm 
in Christ receiving those heavenly blessings. I'm not getting some sprinkling of blessings. If you are blessed by somebody, he might throw some blessings on you. But you are blessed in someone, whatever he has is yours. Now it's very hard, this unity with Christ. We are not just saved, we are one with Christ. We are in Christ, he is in us. Right in Galatians, it says, Galatians chapter 2, verse 20, Christ lives in me. Now that sort of miniaturizes Christ a little bit. I prefer to say the Holy Spirit lives in me, which is far more accurate. In a real sense, it's the third person, the Spirit of Christ that lives in us. Right? But in Galatians, they say Christ lives in me. That's not wrong either because the three are one and one are three. All right? So, but theologically accurate, you'd say the Holy Spirit of Christ lives in me. But we are in Christ. That sounds good. He's bigger and I'm smaller, right? And every time God sees me, he sees me in Christ, right? And every blessing I receive, I'm, I'm blessed because I'm in Christ. What he gets, I get, right? So that's hard to grasp. Very, very hard to grasp. Intellectually and by faith. How can you accept that? You mean I'm so close to Christ that I'm in Christ? Yes, yes. All right, we are united with him. Okay, yes. The day we trusted him, we are united with Christ. Now, so in Christ, let me read it again. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. Whoa, blows your mind. This one verse will take you eternity to figure it out. Now, in verses 7 to 8, let's just read that. In him again, in Christ, we have redemption through his blood. We redeem, bought back the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight. Wow! Okay, in him we are forgiven and we are lavish with the riches of his grace. Wow, I love, I love this, okay? Hard to, hard to really comprehend. Huh? Riches of His grace, lavish upon us all wisdom and insight. Okay? Wisdom of Christ is available. Insight of Christ. Right? All this is ours to be received by simple faith. Look at verse 10 of chapter 1. I think this is the goal of this book. Verse 10 of chapter 1. Right? As a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. Wow. So Christ is going to be head of everything, every one, in heaven and on earth. He is the head okay, of this united, first a united church, 
then later, a united heaven and earth. Okay? So that's the Christ, the carpenter's son, whom we saw walking on this earth. It's not just the head of a Jewish group of believers, which we saw in Gospels, but in the epistles, we see him head of a universal church, and then of the heaven and the earth. That's the goal, the headship of Christ in God's good time. Now look at verses 18 to 20. A lot of things very hard to grasp here. That's why I said it's, this is really the, the, if you can understand Ephesians, you have a pretty good picture of the plan of God. 18 to 20. Chapter 1, verses 18 to 20. Having the eyes of your heart enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe according to the working of his great might. These are big words, immeasurable greatness of God's power given, all right, working in us. So, wow, this is something. The glorious inheritance of the saints. Have you ever sat down to figure out what's the inheritance of the saints? Have you ever figured what's that immeasurable power working towards us, in us? Wow. <laughs> okay. All right. And then we look at verses 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Very hard to grasp, but he used to be the body that we could see in the Gospels. Some Jews saw him, but now we are the body that the world can see. And he fills us, all right, with his power, with his might, that the whole world can see God. God's love, not just Israel. He's the head, we are the body now. This multinational church is the multinational, uh, uh, is the massive body of Christ, okay? To show God's love to the world. Are we doing that? Are we showing God's love to the world? We're hiding in the church and encouraging one another to study the, the Bible and memorize more verses. Does the world see God's agape love in us? I'm afraid not, right? Because we are more uh, into the doctrinal studies rather than this goal of uh, glorifying God. Okay, Chapter 2. It tells us we are dead in sins. What do you mean by dead? It says before we are saved, we are dead. Yeah, we are dead to others. <laughs> dead to God and dead to others. We only are alive to our own passions. Okay, that's basically what chapter 2 verses 1 to 3 says. But what's the goal of us being saved? Right? Chapter 2 verse 10. For we are his workmanship, his masterpiece, created in Christ Jesus for 
Bible studies. No, for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. All right? So Christianity today is more about talk, more about classroom, but the Ephesian study we are showing is more about walk. Walk is you go out. You walk into church, sit on a chair, and listen and take notes so that you can go out and walk. We are that workmanship, right? For good works as we go out into the world. All right? That's the goal of our faith. Now, chapter 2, verse 11 and 12. Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision which is made in the flesh by hands remember that you were at that time separated from christ right so from chapter 2 verse 11 onwards up to up to 22 it basically says there used to be a huge division between the jews and the gentiles in other words the christ the the faith of the Old Testament was basically what I would have called a national faith. It was for the Jews. And all religions in the world were basically like that. There was the God of this country, the God of that country, the God of this village, the God of that town, right? But now, in the New Testament, God wants one church, one body, that is multinational to represent him in the whole wide world. All right? To you and me today, it's like, no big deal. Isn't, isn't the church always like that? No, it was never like that. At the time when Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, there was still a very big gap. You see, in Galatians, we saw that. How the Jews came and said, how can you guys be really God's people? You're not even Jewish in your ways. You don't eat like Jews, you don't celebrate Jewish festivals, you don't circumcise like Jews. You want to really worship God, you must be Jewish. Today, every religion, all right, has its cultural links. Christianity should not have. It's multinational. Certain religions, you know, it came from a certain country, right? Like Arabia or Tibet or whatever. <clears throat> And you can tell the language used in their holy book comes from one country, right? Not supposed to be translated too many. The way they dress, wherever they go, they wear the same robes, the same color, they wear the same sandals, doesn't matter whether it's minus 50 degrees or whether it's plus 50 degrees, they're supposed to wear the same clothes, look the same way because they represented a nation, a, a culture. But we are supposed to be just multinational but somehow the western church imposes a lot of western culture as if christianity is western which is totally wrong right we're just one church representing christ each one multi uh, in representing christ in the world it doesn't matter how we dress as long as we leave the same christ it's not a modest dress it's okay all right so chapter 3 then goes on to talk about Paul's unique role as the apostle to the 
Gentiles. When we say Gentiles, just say world helps us better. Otherwise, you think Gentiles are some special breed of people, Jews, Gentiles. No, no, no. It used to be Jews, now world. All right? So Paul now is the apostle to world. And he, he did his best to reach the known world at that time, all right? With the limited transportation, etc. He reached the known world, the Roman world of many different races okay so paul's prayer in chapter 3 and verse 18 so it's basically paul saying i don't know why god chose me I, i'm not a much of a guy but i persecuted the church i did all call of messy things and I, i'm not even one of the original 12 and yet god chose me to do this amazing job of bringing christ to the world <laughs> all right to you and me no big deal in the 21st century but at that time groundbreaking okay so chapter 3 verse 18 and 19 may so this is paul's prayer that you may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth depth and to know the love of christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Wow. Paul's prayers that may be filled, understand the love of God, the love of Christ, how much he loved us, how much he sacrificed to leave heaven, to come down to earth, go live that life of suffering, go on the cross, die for us. I hope you can, he says, Paul, I hope you comprehend grasp this love of Christ because that's what you're supposed to do when you are filled with this love you can share this love to the world right so that's his prayer for us now what's the purpose of knowing all this love of Christ so you know more verses so you can expound the 55 verses on the love of Christ or whatever right no 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 chapter 4 tells us okay what is the purpose? So you remember, chapters 1 to 3 speaks of the faith we receive, the doctrines that we have learned are supposed now to be expressed as our testimony to the world. Chapter 4 to 6 is about how these doctrines now come out as duty or sanctification, right, to bless the world. Chapter 4, verse 1. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Walk. Christian, walk. Not sit. Right? Not learn. Learning must result in walking. How many Christians walk out to show the love of Christ by reaching the needy, helping the poor, all right? How many? How much of your time is walk? And how much of your time is classroom talk? 95 and 5? More likely 99 and 1, right? Efficiency doesn't allow that, okay? Then in chapter 
4 verse 2 to 6, we begin our walk first by making sure there is unity in our church. Walking around to our members, right? Bearing one another's burdens. Okay, chapter 4 verse 2, with all humility, gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and through all and in all. So there's oneness, right? And to have oneness, you need to love one another, to bear each other's burdens not have clicks because you look down on people you find those people so slow so irritating so dull so uneducated you know no come down down bear each other's burdens like christ did came down right the trouble with classroom and intellect is we try to go up that's the crap i'm not i'm not anti-intellectual please don't get me wrong okay but there's always this danger of thinking, I know so much, right? But all that, unless you come out and serve, okay? So it sounds like unity, one, 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 right? And then verse chapter 4, verse 11. And he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds and teachers. So... There's oneness and there's diversity, different gifts. God gives us different gifts. So there's unity, but not uniformity, right? And the purpose of all these gifts is to do what? Verse 12, to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, for building up the body of Christ until we all attain to the unity of the faith and to the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood. So the purpose of all this is to do what? Serve, helping equip the saints. So equip the saints for what? So they can serve to help everyone in the church to grow to maturity. What is maturity? To be like Christ. What is Christ? To love, to give, to serve right maturity is not to be smart <laughs> okay that's different from knowledge mature is to be like the one perfect person christ what was christ like spend all his time in the classroom memorizing verses no serving reaching out okay all right then how do we do this how do we do this look at verse 40 uh, 22 to 24 chapter 4 22 to 24 to put off your old self which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires to be renewed in the spirit of your minds put on the new self created after the likeness of god in true righteousness and holiness Putting off old habits of what are old habits? Self. Everything I do is to make myself more comfortable, more happy, more reputable. Alright? Put 
off those things and put on the new things of serving, right? The upside down economy of giving, right? Of humbling. Not easy. Not easy. After a lifetime of habits, it's very hard to change our habits. So it's a case of putting off one, trying again, sometimes forget you, take it back on, put it off, put on a new habit, a new lifestyle, piece by piece, practical, right? So that as we put on, put off, we become more and more like Christ and less and less like Satan and like Satan's people in the world. Selfish, self-indulgent, right? Chapter 2, uh, chapter 5, sorry, verses 1 and 2. Therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself for us a fragrant offering and sacrifice to God. So who are you supposed to be like? Like God. You're supposed to be like God. Imitators of God. You say, who's God? How? I don't know. I've never been up to heaven. Like Christ. The love of Christ. Giving. Giving. Alright? Who gave himself. Have you given yourself for anything? For anyone? Or are you trying to receive? Receive. Receive. Mm. I like to go to this church. Wow, they really feed me. There's nothing wrong with it. But have you fed anyone else? Wow, I like this church. They really take care of me. Have you taken care of anyone else? Alright? You know, that's the problem with Christianity today. It's a receiving, it's a desiring, the old nature. We, we don't even see ourselves needing to be like Christ. We just see ourselves needing to know about Christ. There's a world of difference, right? So basically walk in love as Christ did. What kind of love? Agape love. What is agape love? Paying attention, not wanting to be attracted that's eros you're attracted to another person. Affinity, I like those guys, they're my type. We spend our time in church talking to one another, we're the same gang. Attention type of love, seeing those with needs, going out, reaching them, be in the church, beyond the church, right? That's agape love. Looking for people with needs so you can express Christ's love to us. Christ saw a need, we were sinners going to hell. He came down to express that love to us, right? So, chapter 5 tells us about having to walk in love. Verse 2, walk in love. Oh man, Christian, please start walking, please, right? Mm. Then we have, mm, if we are filled, then he tells us in chapter 5, verse 18, to be filled continually with the Spirit. Let, let me read it. Huh? Chapter 5, verses, verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery. You know, drunkards love to keep drinking. Get drunk with wine. People love to eat, get drunk with uh, full of food. People love pleasure, to be full of pleasure. We just keep feeding ourselves whatever we like. Right? but be filled with the Spirit. The word filled is just like you keep filling yourself with your favorite food, your favorite drink. Fill, we keep filling 
with the Spirit. How do you know you're filled with the Spirit? Okay. It will show, verses 19, addressing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing and making melody to the Lord with your heart. One evidence of being filled with the Spirit is you're always rejoicing, praising God all the time. Not worship service, all the time, singing. Your heart is so filled with God's unbelievable love to you, you keep singing, right? Privately or corporately. But verse 20, giving thanks always and for everything to God and the Father in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Second evidence of being filled with the Spirit is you're always thankful, not always complaining, right? You go to Christian fellowships, and boy, do they know how to complain about everything, right? From the weather, to the government, to the economy. But to give thanks, not so common. You know who's filled with the Spirit? A guy who's giving thanks, all right? For what? Giving thanks always for everything <laughs> to God the Father, okay? So different, huh? Sometimes you do give thanks because something amazing happened. But for everything, air, sunshine, a bird that flew by, okay? a beautiful cloud in the sky, all these amazing things that God gives to us. And sub then the third evidence is submitting to one another out of reverence to Christ. The third thing about being filled with the Spirit is you are able to submit. Right? Yes, as Christ humbled himself, submitted himself. Right? You can. Because you have the humble spirit of Christ. Then he goes on submitting to wife, submit to your husband. Chapter 5, verse 22 to 32. Is about wife's submission to husband. You say, wow, suddenly from practical thing goes to family. Uh, talk about. Yeah, because our Christian walk must begin first with the family. Okay? And if we cannot submit, a wife cannot submit to a husband, how can she submit to Christ? Our proud spirit, why should I submit to my husband? Same way with you. Why should I submit to Christ? I like this. I like to do this. Right? So that humble spirit of putting yourself right in a position of under some authority to your husband. That's where it all begins. Right? And this submission in chapter 5, verse 22 to 32 is telling us you submit your husband as unto the Lord. You learn submission. And then in chapter 6, verse 1 to verse 3, it is, verse 4, it's son, children, submit to your parents as unto the Lord. And then later, chapter 6, verse 5 to verse 9, is all servants submit to your boss, earthly boss, as unto Christ than submission, right? Because our old nature is, who are you to tell me anything? 
I live my own life. I make my own decisions. I just do it. I'm master of my own destiny. That's how we always been. And we say, that was done. You're a lousy master. You need to learn to submit to the real master. You say, I don't mind submitting to Christ. Really? You haven't learned submission to you learn to submit to your parents. Employee, you haven't done submission to you submit to your employer. It's a whole new ball game that you need to learn, a new habit to put on. This habit of being no more deciding what you want to do. Right? Because that's messed up your life, to be honest. We are lousy masters of ourselves. Though we cannot admit that. Okay? So here we see this need to submit to a authority and especially the authority of our head, Jesus Christ, who allows us to learn submission through our husband to a wife's a wife to a husband, a child to a dad, an employee. To, but of course it doesn't mean that the master can dominate and, and bully. Christ never bullied us. He loved us. Okay? Then we finally come to the last part of chapter six which is about spiritual warfare. Chapter 6 and verse 10. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in... Because it's in the Lord again, <laughs> okay? Not be strong by the Lord, huh? In the Lord and in the strength of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes of the devil for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against authorities, against cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in heavenly places. So what have we learned? That we live in a place where there is a warfare, whether you like it or not, right? This is not a war that is... Uh, it starts at a certain time and stops at a certain time. There's a, there's a lot of wars that have starting dates and ending dates. This is a war that goes on. It's a spiritual battle. The devil, Satan, is quite an aggressive guy. He works hard and he's always trying to make us fall. So in chapter 6, verse 14 to 17, we see God says, put on the whole armor of God. I won't go to piece by piece because that's a whole message by itself. But it says the belt of truth. The belt holds the pieces together. It holds the, the lower part and the upper part, right? Your pants and your shirt, okay? Now, that to me is the balance. And right? the belt of truth is that balance, right? That puts everything, the belt holds the armor, everything in place, okay? So is your life right? held in place? probably okay that balance between doctrine and duty okay some people have only doctrine it's like a guy just walking around with pants you know or his pants fell off because he doesn't have a belt then it says the breastplate of righteousness well that's the main piece of the roman army that breastplate protects your heart your vital organs you get you get hit in the vital organs your head dead that breastplate of right. Whose righteousness? Who can give you that breastplate? Christ's righteousness. I dare go 
into any battle because I know, though I'm a sinner, but Christ's righteousness is my righteousness. I can stand before God anytime. Right? And whatever the devil says, I know I have a righteousness that is solid. It's the righteousness of Christ. Shoes to bring the gospel out. You needed good shoes in those days. The ground was rough and stony. You didn't have shoes, you can't go anywhere. You needed good shoes to go out to reach the world. You needed a shield of faith because the devil will keep show darts at you. Are you sure God loves you? Are you sure you are God's listening to your prayer? You just sinned yesterday. How come you expect God to hear your prayers today? Right? Those are darts of doubt that he shoots at us. And you can say, I know he, he hears me because I'm in Christ. I'm united to Christ. He hears Christ. I'm in Christ. Excuse me, don't you know that? Right? That's the shield of faith, simple faith, right? In the promises of God. And then the helmet of salvation, okay? That's solid piece there, right? That protects our head. I know I'm going to have it, whatever. I'm guaranteed of that. It's my salvation. And then lastly, the sword of the spirit. The only aggressive piece was the sword. The rest were defensive. Okay, and the sword of spirit is the word of God. I use the word of God. Power of God. Word of God is quick, living and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. Just the word sometimes, just one verse, change your life, pierce through everybody's. How powerful the word is a life, right? And then verse, chapter 6, verse 18, it says, let's look at the pieces of the army, it ends by... Praying at all times in the Spirit. Prayer is not mentioned as a piece of armor, but prayer, you must pray at all times. Okay, so you need a balanced life, belt. You know you have the breastplate of righteousness, Christ's righteousness. Not yours. Yours is not a breastplate. Yours is not even a rattan uh, thing. It's, it's, it's weak and shaky. Okay, you need good shoes to go out. Right. Many people have no shoes. Most Christians are shoeless. They don't know how to go out. They're scared to go out. They step on the stones. Ah, painful. They come back in again to the church. Right? Easily hurt and run back in. You need solid shoes so they can walk out. Right? Shield of faith. You need to have, you know your Bible. That God will. All the promises are yours. Whatever the devil says, he says, it is written. Helmet of salvation. You know where you're going. 100%. Sword of the Spirit to use when necessary. No, the Roman armor had no back defense. Everything was in the front. The moment a Roman soldier turned and ran back, he's a dead man. His back is exposed. So as Christians, onward Christian soldiers, no, no turning back. Sometimes you stand still because you... You can't go forward. You need to re-strengthen re, uh, yourself, but never turn back. Right? Okay, so what have we learned in Ephesians? To me, we learn the riches of our salvation, the inheritance that God has given us. Unbelievable. That's the word. 
And so, what happens when we are filled with this love of God, comprehend this love of God, when you are filled with something, it flows out. That's life. Alright? Unless you are the Dead Sea. Funny part of Israel was that they had a Dead Sea. Kind of unique. Float in. Water just flowed in for centuries. Nothing flowed out. We have Dead Sea Christians today who have been in Bible studies forever and never reached out to anyone who have learned everything about the love of God in sermons, Bible studies, etc., but never given out the love of God at all. And you know what happened to the Dead Sea? All the fish in it are dead. Nothing can live in it. And then the Dead Sea Christians are always miserable and unhappy, wondering why I go to church, I never miss a Bible study, I'm faithful in my quiet time, and I'm as miserable and unhappy and pathetic and empty as anything. There's no life in me. No need to wonder why. Just go to the Dead Sea and you will understand why. What flows in must flow out or you die. Alright? Same with what you eat. If you don't pass it out, you die. What you drink, you don't pass it out, you die. Right? And so, what have we learned in Ephesians? We have learned that God's amazing agape love has been given to us and we, the church, are the body of Christ to show the world God we have not seen by the life of the body of Christ. The head came once, 2,000 years ago, showed Israel the love of God. Today, he, through his church, wants to show the agape love of God to the world. Do you know the agape love of God? If you do, then show it to the world. What an amazing God. What an amazing plan. What an amazing church. The multinational body of Jesus Christ. May you be one of those amazing parts of this body. Right? May God bless you and may this book help you to walk the Christian life. God bless you.